Hi everyone, welcome to the Idiots Podcast, that's it, Infectious Disease Insight of a Triple of Specialists. I'm Jane, that's Callum, this is Sarah, and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about infectious disease. Soon may the team come to discontinue the Tazo Sun. One day when the CRP's done, we'll take our leave and go. Callum, thank God it's the end of the month. This is my least favourite month. Did you know that, Callum? It's only got 28 days, except one time in, in four, it's got 29. You could say that Feb riles me. And uh, what a coincidence that is, because uh, our guest today... <laughs> Should I be ready for that? <laughs> our guest today, I've not finished, joining us from uh, Podcast Towers, uh, she is... The host of the Febrile podcast, the princess of podcasting, the guru of guest finding, the titan of Twitter, the ingenue of infographics, the master of microbes, the region of resistance mechanisms, and the queen of queerful explanation of cutting edge research. She is the one and only Sarah Dong. How are you doing? I am great. That is the that is the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> if you could just come with me whenever I enter a room. <laughs> Put that in your ID card and then... <laughs> And probably after you go on those two parters, you have to flip it around, and <laughs> the second part's just got your name. One of those like wallets where you open it and it just like. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that'd be great. So, uh, Sarah, what we wanted to talk to you uh, about uh, today was the American exams uh, in general and exam resources in particular. So, this is going to be the third episode of our uh, mini series that we've got. We've talked about the Fellowship of the Royal College of Pathologists exam, which is what we do in the UK, part one and part two, uh, which only microbiologists do. But we'd be very interested to know about the uh, American exams, what you have to do in order to get your final accreditation. So I I guess I should start by saying that it's really a certification exam, but I think most of us just say boards, ID boards, mm. which is sort of a sub, subspecialty heading under the American Board of Internal Medicine, which is the really the initial test that you sit for at the end of your internal medicine residency. Okay. So maybe the equivalent of MRCP over here. Yeah. When I was listening to you guys talk about it, it seemed like that was kind of similar. Okay. So it's the thing um, that you have to do at the end of, can like if you sit that exam and pass it at the end of your residency, can you just stop and become an attending or do you have to do extra training? Yeah. Yeah. So most people, you sit for it a couple months after you've graduated. So most people sort of sign up in their last year and then start their job, or maybe they take a gap and then start their job and then take their test. But I think there's probably a little bit of wiggle room of like when you can be board eligible versus board certified. Like, I think you just have to probably take it within a certain amount of time based on whatever job that you take. Um, but you could go directly into private practice or being a hospitalist um, or otherwise you'll be a, you know, if you went into fellowship, you would be starting your fellowship training. Mm. And when you say fellowship training, it's a fellowship in a specialty like infectious disease or, or PEDS ID or microbiology or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fine. And so for me, I'm uh, adult and pediatric. So uh, there's also an American board of pediatrics, ABP. And so they do the same thing. You sit for your pediatric board exam, and then you can later sit for the ABP pediatric ID certification exam. <clears throat> so uh, usually they're offered like in the fall um, for, for most people. The only 
exception is that the peds id test is every two years give or take i think just because there's not that many people who take it some of the pediatric subspecialties aren't offered every year and the peds board exams we'll just call that it that that's done by that's overseen by abp not abim yeah yeah so when you talk about boards it's the infectious disease certification exam and it's either overseen by abim or abp fine Mm -hmm. and do you do this at the start of your fellowship in the middle at the end sort of like what what time period do you um do you do it yeah it's offered uh the adult ones offered in i think it's around november right at the beginning of november um i'd say most people try to go ahead and and take it close to when they finish training there's probably some exceptions like if they know they have they won't have sort of have the bandwidth to to study or uh, want to push it out because of whatever personal reasons you can also do that. But mm-hmm. um, otherwise, I'd say most people sort of try to take it and get it over with. Yeah, get um, it over and done with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And one more question, and then I'll I'll throw to you, Callum. Uh, so, what sort of is the format of the exam? Like, mm. is it online? Is it in a center? Is it all written? Yeah. Is there a practical component? Blah blah blah. Yeah, so it's all multiple choice. Um, so there's, there's what is it? There's four sessions, and they're all you technically have two hours allotted to you to do sixty questions. And since there's four of them, so there's like two hundred and forty total questions. This is for the. I'm just going to talk about the adult one because I haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sit for the Pete's one this year. Um, <clears throat> and so if you took the whole time, that test could be like 10 hours, right? If you took the four two-hour sessions and then you get breaks in between. Uh, I don't know. I you know, I think it depends on what type of test taker you are. If you actually take that long, it's probably somewhere in the middle. But it's sort of like a whole day mm-hmm. affair for whoever's taking it. And then you once you register, you go to a center. We have these like standardized testing centers like Prometric. There's probably some other brand names, but I've always used Prometric because that's where it's been when I where I've lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you go to the testing center where they like check you and you have your little cubicle and you take your your test. Um, and so it's just you and a computer and some of those big earmuffs so that you can't hear <laughs> anyone else, like if they're, you know, typing or or um if they're really loud, but really it's not specific to your test. So anyone could sign up for those Prometrics, but usually you'll end up seeing someone that, you know, just because it's offered on a specific day. Yeah. They're all doing it on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a practical component for ID. It's all, it's just multiple choice. Mm. Sarah, there's Mm -hmm. that we're just going to guess called the board exam. So there's ID board exams for adult medicine. There's ID board exams for child medicine. And then there's a microbiology board exam offered by American Board of Medical Microbiology. Okay. Yeah, I think they have a separate test. So I actually don't know too much about that. And um, is that all the sort of infection exams that there is? Is there is there any other ones that people have to sit or do sit? Or? Uh, I think if you're interested in the tropical medicine certificates, sometimes people do those. I, I don't know that there's other official ones. But it wouldn't be mandatory for completion of train and okay, it would right. just be like a someone to have in the CV, yeah. right? There is one. Um, some people who are not doing an ID specific fellowship will do sort of like an HIV fellowship. And mm, I don't yeah. know that they take, I actually don't know if they take a test at the end, but sometimes if there's like a 
an outpatient clinician who's going to be seeing a lot of patients with HIV, then maybe they'll do this. But I don't think, I don't know that there's like a tester or something Mm. specific that is formalized as in like, you couldn't take a job without it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think that's probably the same as the UK. There's a, the the diploma in tropical medicine hygiene. A lot of people do that. I've done that and it was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's an HIV diploma, which you can do, which seems really tough. Um, but neither of those things are essential, but probably from your yeah. individual, like, you know, development are really useful to, to have that sort of foundational knowledge. And, and yeah. also just like, you know, when you're hiring, you're getting buying for jobs and people kind of, they know to expect a certain level of knowledge if you've got that, that yeah. Yeah. title. Well, I mean, the HIV is just so different from the rest of infectious disease medicine that a period of study where you're like really getting into the nitty gritty of the drugs. I think it's the only way to become properly competent. So for the adult ID board exam, Mm. so we have some questions that we've, that we've prepared. None of them, hopefully too difficult. (laughs) So um, it's not an exam or is it? What? This isn't the exam. This is just just a tribute. I have to ask uh, Sarah, because Sarah, Sarah has loads of guests on that are really uh, clever, and we have to ask her at the end of this how it feels to be in the hot seat for once. <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is questionnaire. strange. <laughs> uh, so here's a question. Okay, I'm ready. How far in advance did you start studying <laughs> for the exam? Well, I don't know that I had sort of like an official first day. I, I did sign up for, there's some ID board review courses, and uh, there's one that a lot of people use, which is the George Washington University one. And uh, I think that was in late August. So that was probably the first time that I sort of formally explicitly said like, oh, I'm studying uh, for yeah, something. Yeah. But, you know, I attended virtually and you're getting clinic calls and answering your email. But uh, I had all the resources to look through things. And was that that course, is that like a week long? Is it residential? Is it always online or was it just a COVID thing? Yeah, it I I think it's like four, it might be five days. It used to be in person and then mm. it was online for a while. And I actually don't know if the newest one they've been able to do it in person yet. But I took my test in 2021. So it was still uh virtual at the time. Right. And then, you know, after that I'd say because you take your test right at the beginning of November. So the next two months I I was technically studying. For me, that just means doing lots of questions, creating study guides for myself on topics that I knew I would need to come back to, and then just squeezing that in when you're not like on service or doing something else. Hmm. And October is always a bit busy for ID folks because a lot of people are prepping for ID week. So if you have a presentation or something, maybe you're working on that. But I'd say the, you know, that one to two months I was sort of, quote, formally studying, or I guess I should say revising Yes, yeah. you guys say revising. <laughs> Wait, do you not say revising? We don't. <laughs> oh. Oh. I will. There we go. <laughs> I don't have any slang to teach you, but <laughs> um, I took and then I took the the week before the test. I well, I had a family wedding and we were. I think I was in DC or something. So I took that week and didn't do anything clinical and just studied and looked through my notes and yeah, yeah, you know, would study and then go go out and get something to eat and then come back. And um, I think to be fair, I've sort of been studying by doing febrile for a lot of months, which obviously is not an experience that everyone else is going to be able to translate. But um, that had a 
I think that had a big impact on how much I had to like sit down and formally study certain topics because I had sort of done that along the way over the past at that point I had been doing Febrile for like a year a year and a half right yeah you started in late 2020 yeah so I mean that helped a lot because I effectively was studying not intentionally that wasn't my purpose but Mm. I think uh I get very nervous about ever putting something on for example the consult notes that's not correct and so I usually triple check things I'll like read you know, something on up to date, I'll read something in Mandel, I'll read something, you know, a couple of key papers, and then like put things together. So the process of that, I would say was also studying. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of what I do. I I do lots of questions. And then I take notes on the questions that I get wrong, or things that I read the description and said, Oh, I got that, <laughs> got that right, but for the wrong reasons, maybe. Yeah. Um, and do sort of lots of interleaving, you know, like where you mix and match your uh, subjects as you go. Um, Cause that's kind of how I studied for all my bigger standardized tests before. And in terms of these questions that you use, is there like uh, question banks that you can get and where do you find them? Or is there like books and what other resources were you getting information from? You mentioned um, Mandel and up to date there. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's that, that thing about if you're telling people to study, go and read the whole of Mandel. And <laughs> I definitely did not take that approach. <laughs> Uh, well, so the first thing I, I did do is I do think it's very helpful for, for the board's exam. There's what they call an exam blueprint, which you can just Google online. Um, and it actually gives you, it's not that specific. It's just kind of like 25% of the test is going to be on bacteria. Then it gives you a long list of certain things, but, uh, it does break down things by sort of how likely it is that it's going to be on the test Mm -hmm. and, that's a really nice way to structure it. Cause if there's something that like you're not very good at, but it also is going to be less than 1% chance it's going to be on the test. You probably don't have to focus on it. Mm. Um, but the, that George Washington course comes with probably like 400 questions and they're good. They have some repetition. So you remember, and they sort of go along with some of the lectures. And then there is a, I didn't really sit down and read Mandel, but there is a book called the, comprehensive review of ID. It's a great book. I think they first put it out in like 2020, maybe. And it has a lot of like bullet points summarizing various ID things. So it's a nice way to just cover a topic in one to two pages. But then on the back of the book, there's lots of questions. And there's there's other charts like ID associations. And I'll just have a chart with like an animal <laughs> and the infection that you're supposed to remember. Um, so I basically did all of those questions between the George Washington thing and the book. I will say the George Washington course you have to pay for, or, mm. you know, your program has to pay for. Um, how much was it? Oh, that's a good I, I just looked it up um, and it was $1,450. Yeah. And and that's let alone if it's in person and you have to travel there. Yeah. Is that is that quite a lot for a course? I don't really well, know. I mean, there's a lot of, for a lot of our certification exams, people have these things where you go for like three to five days and it's like fully immersive and you like do everything there. Mm-hmm. It is expensive. I, I think a lot of people get it paid for through their program. Or, or maybe they have like a program rate or something like that and they figure out ways to make it 
doable for trainees. Mm -hmm. I think that there are other people who are probably later in their career that are doing like maintenance of certification that maybe occasionally they come to courses like that. What, what do you mean by that? So it it's, there's like a little bit of evolution, but it used to be right that you like took your board exam and then you had to take it again, like your recertification and X number of years, let's say it's 10 years. There's a lot of the boards in or sort of licensing boards in the States are changing to do this maintenance of certification where you just do a certain number of questions over a shorter period of time so that you're not doing sort of another sit down test down the road. But I think that some of these courses were sometimes modeled so that people who were doing recertifications later could also take the class. But oh, okay. I suspect that's like the minority. And then there is there is an ID Week review course at, sorry, at ID Week, there's a review course um, that I did not do. It is paid, like as in you had to pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the benefit of those is like you're, if you can, that you're carving out time for yourself to look at the material. I think that's what was hard about it being virtual is I, I don't know that I really was able to carve out time the same as if I had been sitting there with a bunch of other people yes. <laughs> who are yeah. like uh, ready to take their thinking about the exam. So it was like good and bad, but I was able to do it well, you know, not having to pay to travel. So yeah. Yeah. In terms of other question banks, are there, sort of commercial companies. I don't know if the MK SAP is still going. Is that? Um, I used that ages ago for Australian yeah. exams. Well, I actually um, don't know if MixUp does like subspecialty questions. No, I'd say most of us. internal medicine. They, they might actually, I don't know. But um, I didn't use that. There, there are some other paid ones that are online. They're usually like a couple hundred dollars and then you get access to some number of questions over a couple months or what period, whatever period of time you pick. Yeah. But I, for ID in general, there's not a ton of questions. Um, one of the things that was nice is the ID fellows cup is uh, I don't know. If, do you guys participate seen it on in Twitter? Uh, no, I've not, I've not taken part. No. So that's another way that there um, some folks at UAB have been driving that and, and working with a lot of trainees to write questions that are board style that gets sort of pushed out to the phone and mm -hmm. there's a little bit of competition. And so that was something else that they sort of time it so that it uh, lines up and can be helpful for those people who are studying for boards. And it helps, you know, I think going through the process of having to write a question is also a good exercise. So a lot of people participate in that. And that, that must have already been going when I took my test as well. So I did yeah. those. Yeah. It's been going for a few years. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if people don't know, a, they should definitely check it out and sign it up and follow them on Twitter. I think that's a really good point is that like, and maybe harks back to what you were saying about running Febrile is that well, one, you know, the level of like, in, in terms of that, uh, I don't remember whose pyramid it is. Mm -hmm. I always get confused about whose pyramid is whose, but the highest thing is like creating yeah. or, or yeah, teaching. Yeah, exactly. So like, the, you know, teaching and, and that can be a yeah. really great way to revise. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is like writing questions. I think for me, writing multiple choice questions makes you think well actually what can they actually ask me yeah. because there's some things that are really easy to ask questions and there's some things which are like well do i need to revise this yeah. because like actually i don't need to memorize facts in day to day because i can look them up yeah so i'll memorize the things that they can actually ask questions on which does feel like 
Yeah, I feel like you're gamifying it yeah. slightly, but at the end of the day, if everybody is gamifying it and you don't gamify your vision, then, you know, game over. <laughs> well, what I really would love to do is eventually have it so that we had questions that pair with Febra episodes that people could do after the fact and like reinforce things oh, wow. that they've learned. I haven't had the bandwidth to do that, but that's like one of the ultimate goals is for us to take all these digital resources that uh, people are creating and find ways to make them synergize with one another and, uh, you know, build in that network for people who are, I think some of it is preparing for tests, but also just like, like you were saying, being able to, to think through writing questions or the people who create the episodes. I think it's a cool way to um, reinforce what you're working on, but yeah. Yeah, that would be great actually. Yeah. Um I I feel like I could benefit from that. I know I've just <laughs> said that educating and creating is is the the highest level of of learning, but it's not infrequent that someone at work will say, "Oh, I listened to this podcast episode and yeah. it was interesting to hear X." Or someone will say something and I'll be like, "Oh, where did you where did you hear that on your <laughs> podcast?" Oh, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and it might have been that Jame just went off on a massive rant and I stopped listening. Uh, yeah, you're right. I <laughs> need the questions for my <laughs> for myself. Because the thing about learning is that, like, and maybe this is the thing about what you're saying about sitting the exam near the end of your training is that if you're using a piece of knowledge, yeah. then you will retain it. And if you're not, and you just mention it, you know, on a, on a you're not going to retain yeah. it, so yeah i used i mean honestly i used id twitter i think a lot just by like flipping through things you know people post pearls they post like mini cases i i suspect that i definitely got some questions just because i would see these random associations on some sort of tutorial and then remembered it later because like you're saying i mean i think there's some of the stuff that's on the test that you know in real life you're going to look it up <laughs> and it's like short-term yeah. memory. Um, but having a mix of resources that, that cover things that you need to know more in depth and then more in the short term. I'm the same way with podcasts. Cause I sometimes have a hard time like recalling all of it, especially if I'm not like focused, um, but making graphics helped me a lot. And I like made some while I was studying that I shared with people. So I'm really interested in Twitter, actually, and I hadn't really thought about that, but I think mm -hmm. you're, you're completely right that I, I'm relatively new to Twitter, but there's so much useful stuff on there. So if I was someone that had never used Twitter and was preparing for my ID board exams, do you have any tips about how to get the most out of Twitter for that purpose? Yeah. And obviously it's shifted a little bit over the past like year or so with things that are going on with Twitter. But I, I mean, I think some of it is, you can certainly look at specific hashtags like ID Twitter. There's been other ones that are like ID Daily Pearl, but I think probably the most effective thing is just to curate a list of people uh, that you would specifically follow. And so the there's a couple uh, university or fellowship program driven accounts like the Indiana University one is wonderful. There's like the Mayo Clinic one, the Washute W-U-I-D-Q. And so those, and you know, if you're thinking about a topic, you certainly can search it and find tutorials and sort of go back, but that's a good way to have them show up in your feed. The other thing that I found very helpful is there's um, several wonderful microbiologists that are on Twitter that will post like classic 
pictures of plates with, you know, something that is high yield, uh, like a specific terminology that you need to know or a certain auger that you need to know. And it's just like one picture and then a very brief description. And so that's really helpful. Um, I think particularly for a lot of us that if you were in fellowship during COVID, you may have had micro rounds that were abbreviated or adjusted. <laughs> um, yeah. So I yes, love, I love those. It just, it's a good place to like find pictures. I, I think people are using other platforms like Instagram and um, certainly other sort of like micro blogging platforms that aren't Twitter now. So it's a little bit more mm. uh, disrupted, but I think that a lot of those accounts are still putting things out there. And those um, helpful microbiologists. Oh yeah. Is there, is there like a list um oh, I, I, they're probably sometimes that, people make lists i wouldn't say um maybe if someone's listening and they have <laughs> they have practiced uh studied for yeah. this time or say revised because now i know that's the new <laughs> so well i was gonna say um fun. rich davis is one he always has a bunch of great pictures and uh bobby pritt who i i forget her handle off the top of my head but i think it's parasite something um oh b-o-b-b-i um and then i'm sure i am forgetting some other ones and then of course there's like the american society of microbiology and they have a podcast and um also will sometimes put things and like short blogs on online um but there's lots of and i'm sure you know like plenty of like micro resources but those are good for on the fly i feel bad because i'm sure i'm forgetting someone very crucial but those two came to mind (laughs) first yes the thing is, I may know, but that, I, I, some of those that you mentioned there, I've not been aware of. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what's interesting about Twitter is that you can easily find or, or miss things. Yeah. The hashtag's really useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe someone's already created like a, a Twitter list or something yeah. of, of people to follow for exam stuff. Or, yeah, people definitely do. I, I guess my top tip on Twitter was I went to the... What is it called again? There's a Harvard Macy digital education conference that um, Sarah was presenting at. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the talk there was about like making the best use of Twitter. Yeah. And that kind of revolutionized how I was using it because they were talking about having a mission. And yeah. so if your mission is to pass the ID board exam, yeah, um, maybe it's even setting up an alternative Twitter account. And then just only having that one is like, I'm not going to go in here and, and watch funny videos or interact with my sports team or whatnot and have this mixed twitter yeah. thing and actually say i will only follow things that are specific to the exam yeah. and when i'm on twitter i'm revising and that's quite a fun way to revise yeah. isn't it yeah and it's something that like you know you do when you're sitting on the bus <laughs> you know or you're waiting for your coffee and you know if you happen to see a useful pearl it's just like another uh, another sort of entry point into your brain. There's lots of other, and and I think that a lot of times those people who are posting um, pearls or or tutorials are often referencing other resources that are online. So mm. if there's like images from the CDC or there's um, like the Gorgas case, uh, sometimes they'll have those like pre-made cases that cover useful things. And um, the whole idea of like, you'll end up finding other resources. And if there's one that fits you really well, then that's great. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely was more of a uh, lurker and like slowly curated this list of just like, if I find ID micro related things, I, I try to to follow and use that to, uh, to keep up. 
It's also good for keeping up with papers too, but well, yeah, it's huge. And actually, you feel like every day at work now, I'm like, someone on Twitter said blah blah blah. (laughs) You know, like a little kid, like my parents said so and so. So, um, yes, I find it useful. I'd never really thought about as a tool for revising yeah and now that you've given that idea maybe i'll maybe i'll take my own advice and set up a little (laughs) yeah revision account for myself maybe so twitter yeah there we go um maybe by the time maybe twitter will disappear (laughs) hopefully not yeah it all is with an asterisk yeah because we did a febrile episode back in the first i think in the first year or the first quote season um and um we talked a little bit about about Twitter and then used some examples of of things that we uh, that were like random facts that might be useful, like pearls for boards. And then we ended up posting them online. And so the hope would be that mm. like if you're listening to something, maybe it also will show up somewhere else. You get a little bit of that like space repetition built in. Um, also, just to reference the fact that uh, James isn't talking, so he's had to <laughs> leave for a small family emergency situation. So is that the right term? Um, so, uh, I've got free reign. Mm, um, yes. Jane will probably have questions. <laughs> so, uh, so two maybe linked questions is, is there stuff that when you're, you know, that moment when you're sitting in the, in the exam with your earmuffs on mm. and you're thinking, I wish I'd studied this more, or I wish I'd spent less time learning about this. Like, this didn't come up. Is it, so what things are mm. there that you wish you'd studied more of and what things do you think you maybe could have spent less time on? Um, yeah. Well, well, I probably blacked out any questions that I thought I got wrong or did not feel confident on. I mean, I think that uh, everyone just has to be, you have to be honest with yourself and learn what your blind spots are and make the choice to study the things that you aren't as good at, even though you might like reading about something else, which I think you guys talked about in the um one of the F- the FRC path one that you put out. But I mean, I think that for me, sometimes I get tripped up on like antimicrobial, antifungal resistance questions or, or like mechanisms. Mm. I suspect that I probably uh, had some pauses there, things that I wish I'd looked at again. And like sometimes the precaution questions, um, like infection control type questions, uh, I think I can find challenging because it's either you know it or you don't usually. Um, and there's plenty of stuff that I, on the flip side, studied that I probably, like I studied rickettsial disease and knew that back and front. And I don't know that I had any questions on that. Um, but I did help my fellowship team win one of our little jeopardies that we did. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's a plus. Um, I mean, the one thing that's nice that it's useful to look at the blueprint for is um, a good example is that for ABIM ID boards, you don't really have to know specific HIV resistance mutation. Like there's certain things that they don't expect you to know off the top of your head. It's more of the approach. And so the the blueprint often will break down like which components of diagnosis, evaluation, management are important that are testable and which you would not expect them to, to ask. So you're not, for example, going to get a question that'll have you know, several mutations and necessarily have to pick a regimen. I mean, I guess I should say that it would be overtly complicated other than the handful of ones that you, I think we all probably have to know as ID fellows. Um, But I mean, those are the things that come to mind. The nice thing is I felt like 
when I was studying for this, if there were things that I didn't feel as confident in, I was like, oh, I'm glad that I have this opportunity to sit down and look at it. Because when else am I going to do that? Especially if it comes up on things that you maybe haven't seen in a patient in a while, which is usually how I do things. I look up stuff on the patients that I'm seeing. Um, so it's kind of fun in that way. I know nobody, a lot of people don't like sitting around and studying, but I do enjoy having a little bit of time to look through things. So that was like good and bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's great. And yeah, I guess that's the thing that maybe differentiates postgraduate education is often yeah. the stuff that you're having to learn about, as opposed to maybe sometimes undergraduate stuff where it yeah. can feel, it, it can feel irrelevant. And so you'd learn, and I've definitely studied and learned a lot of things in life, mm-hmm. which I don't have any practical use for, Yeah, um, you know, a lot of math stuff that, you know, Maybe if I did more research would be relevant, but now yeah. uh, isn't. So that, that is a quite nice thing that, you, you know, no matter what you study, even if you get into the exam and no questions come up on rickettsial disease. Yeah. Well, you won. Still useful. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, I so. still I'm proud that I know this. Of course, they're slipping away. You can't ask me any rickettsial questions today. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell rickettsial? <laughs> um, I, I was in uh, the blueprint actually I'd never seen before. Mm. And I think speaking to James, who's not here, it could actually be really useful because it's a really nice, just really simple summary, almost yeah. like a syllabus, I guess, of, exactly. of infection. So it's actually really nice to like look through and be like, do I know something about all these, these things to, to target? Yeah. What I was interested though, and struck me, maybe you can um, fill me in is that, so there's a different content categories and percentage mm-hmm. of the exam and, as you'd expect, bacterial and then HIV running the top. But I was interested that 18% internal medicine and non-infectious syndromes. Yeah. And yeah. I just wondered a bit more about that because I feel like my experience in working ID is that often that is what we're dealing with mm-hmm. is people presenting with the fever or something that infections and differential and it turns out to be malignant, inflammatory, autoimmune, et cetera. Yeah. What, what sort of things are coming up in the exam that are fit into that bracket of internal medicine and non-infectious syndromes? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I bet most of the ID folks that are listening have had those lectures where it's like ID mimickers. I think uh, good examples are like pyoderma, gangrenosum, and like things that are sort of ID adjacent. Um, but uh, your stills up, diseases in your... Yeah, exactly. Adult that, stills. Yeah. Um, people who have persistent fevers, but ultimately have some rheumatologic diagnosis. So they give you like just enough in the question Mm. that, or enough sort of ancillary information that you're like, oh, this is not an infection, it's something else. And you're supposed to pick, you know, steroids versus an antibiotic or something like that. Um, I'd say that that's a lot of it. A lot of it is like derm, skin, soft tissue type um, uh, mimickers I'm trying to think of other good examples of items that show up, but, but that's, I definitely, there's certainly a lot of questions that are meant to be sort of general internal medicine. Are you recognizing something that could be mistaken for an ID entity of some kind? That's really interesting. And I feel like reflects a lot of what practicing as an ID physician to me is is often the infection management is relatively straightforward. It's the bits where it's, is it infection, rule out infection, you know, or it's a non-infectious thing. And I guess tying that into like the exam seems from what I've very briefly and very superficially know about it. Mm. Do, do you think it's a, like a fair exam? Do you have any feedback that you would give to the people who, who write the exam? 
Uh, to be honest, I feel like our internal medicine testing is generally feels for the most part fair. Like it feels like they ask you questions in general about things that, yeah, I probably should know that. <laughs> like if you didn't, um, you know, I think it's, I, I have the contrast of sometimes taking the pediatric exams where often there's a lot of emphasis on uh, details that generally in practice I would look up. Um, and I feel mm. my perception is that there's less of that when I take uh, adult oriented exams through ABIM. Obviously, that's mm. not totally true. Like there are questions, obviously, that mm, probably are not the best. And but they they do tell you before you take the exam that there's a certain number of built in questions that don't count. They're just like testing them out. Um, so I think a lot of times when you see those questions that seem a little weird, they probably are just those test questions that they're trying to see <laughs> if um, people answer yeah. them correctly. But uh, overall, it seems like it's pretty fair. Like, you know, for example, I studied a bunch of things on uh, recognizing like stool O&P eggs, but like I'm not even sure I had a question on that. But it was good to study because I didn't see a bunch of that. And that's something that I feel like I should know. Um, and so even when I'm studying something that may not show up on the exam or that I don't see a ton in real life, I still feel motivated because it feels like it's part of my, it should be part of your expertise or at least knowing where to go find it. And that's very, you know, it's very motivating. I guess it's the whole adult, adult learning, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's great, isn't it? Being, <laughs> Being an adult is great. <laughs> mostly <laughs> except for you know taxes and jobs and, <laughs> and kids yeah. mm. getting towards the end now uh, let's uh, let me ask you sarah are there any sort of top facts you learned for the exam or, or sort of weird facts that have stuck in your mind since then that you you can't get out of your head there's a lot of animal associations that i think we all sort of would have generally known but like sheep and orf that's a good example of something that didn't come up otherwise. Uh, but there's other random things. Like I studied rabies prophylaxis very well for the exam. And for whatever reason, it really stuck. And it doesn't come up that often. But for example, when you do travel clinic, it's very helpful to be able to have that in the back of the mind. Um, what else did I try to Oh, and then I made a chart for scom scombroid and ciguatera poisoning which was yeah. not on the test, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I feel like I understood it a lot better after I studied it. Mm. Yeah. So there's lots of like little things like that, that I think they just like are, are wedged in there now and hopefully they'll stay wedged in. We'll see. Ask me in a couple of years. Yeah. It's funny. The things that you think, oh, I'll never forget this. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. it comes five years later and you need that nugget of knowledge. Yeah, I think I've got that with a lot of general medical stuff that I learned for uh, our internal medical exams as <laughs> faded as I've used it less. Or I call that yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to sit the American exam. Sounds good. <laughs> At least they've it got some long. questions, unlike very us, long. who are. I, I think we're we're sort of victims here, say, of um, being too small a country to really justify. Because all that stuff you were saying about, you know, question banks and, and revision courses that you can go to, we've got all that for the MRCP. Yeah. And we've got that to a lesser extent for some of the advanced exams, so like the um, acute medicine uh, exams. Yeah. There's there's revision websites for that. 
but there's yeah. for infectious disease and microbiology, it's just too small. There's nothing like that. So we've got a few yeah. books. We've discussed them on previous episodes, but that's yeah. about it. It's not as well developed, really, because yeah. at the end of the day, only well, 50 million people are eligible to sort of. And honestly, I mean, there's a much more robust uh, space and like platform for people who are certifying for their initial specialty. So there's like multiple courses, there's lots of books, there's programs mm. and uh ID it's actually pretty limited, which is why everyone does the same thing because as mm. in like there's only like the George Washington course which most people do because it's kind of the only game in town or the mm. one at ID week. Mm. But the one at ID week is like two cuz ID week is always in like the middle of October. It's like two weeks before your test. So I think a lot of people like having something earlier. And so the, for example, yeah. the George Washington thing has these like primers. So they're like some, um, like summaries. Like I've, I'm trying to think of one. They probably have one that's like HIV resistance mechanisms or something. And it's like a, you know, 10 slides where they take a couple of things that they think are high yield. And I think a lot of the people who run those oh. courses wrote questions for ABIM or mm. have some insight into like what's on the test. Yeah. And the blueprint used to not be as it used. Well, it's like good and bad. It used to be very generic because I used it to structure like when people didn't have a topic they wanted to talk about on Febrile. Say, OK, well, we can pick something that's sort of aligns with the blueprint somehow because oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it'll be general info but the way they change it now it's like this like stoplight system so if there's like an x you know you don't have to know how to treat whatever probably like liver flukes or something like there are things that you're going to look up that when you're studying for the test if you were looking at another resource it probably would be like oh you need to know this mm-hmm. then you can check the blueprint and be like oh they basically said there's no chance that they're going to ask me that. So I'm not going to study it, which is mostly good for like some of the topics that are like short-term memory. Like for a lot of us that aren't doing a lot of tropical medicine, I think a lot of those questions, um, not having to know specific treatment is kind of, it's good. You're like, oh, I can focus on what I need to know and then um, spend more time on X, Y, and Z that Uh, probably is more high yield. which is a good exam because, you know, it's not like you're going to, if you're not used to practicing, you're not going to go off and just be like, well, neurosisterosis, I've yeah. got this, you know, yeah. off the go. Yeah. You know, you're going you're gonna to consult an expert. You're yeah. going to ask for help. And so it almost, it's almost like dangerous if the exam is like, well, you know, you, you need to know this. Yeah. Yeah. That's so outside of the scope of what we actually expect people to do yeah that the exams should ex- should reflect real life yeah um, and often they don't yeah but. and also the environment that they're in so like a lot of if you if you're wanting to do tropical medicine in the uk mm-hmm. doing the diploma in tropical medicine hygiene is should be your first step and that's what a lot of people do in fact that's what my wife is doing at the moment through distance learning just for, for interest yeah. yeah and it's interesting to think about how like when they make question in general they're going to have to ask you something that has a correct or semi-correct answer Mm. and so i think that's something that was a little hard when you're studying is sometimes you're like oh remember when i had that one patient and you want to like dig into something that probably is a little bit more gray rather than rather than black and white it's probably not useful for the exam (laughs) um yeah but you have to catch yourself from going down uh pathways I'm like oh i'm obviously not gonna have to know this for this exam this is more like put a pin in it come back to it later yeah yeah 
I think that's all the questions we had prepared in this, James. Is there anything else? No, I don't think so. Is it, so do you have any, I guess, closing thoughts for us here, anything that we've not talked about that you think it would be important for for listeners who are preparing for this exam or thinking about sitting it or or just generally interested in the exam? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, uh, we have a couple really good resources, but we're still like somewhat limited in what you can use to study. And I think for me, I had to sort of build myself a separate guide of, of facts that I knew I needed to come back to. And that's probably good advice for studying in general, right? Like understanding and um, sort of having your own self-assessment of what you need to cover. But there's a lot of, um, particularly for pictures and things, we talked about Twitter, but there's a lot of those like online websites that have example cases that I think sometimes seeing seeing those can help reinforce something. And I'll try, if there's anything else that we didn't mention, I'll send it to you. But I, I can't think of any other additional resources that I used a lot of. That'd be great. And, and as before, we'll include them in the show notes. Um... Yeah. My other advice is like, if you're at all interested in making graphics or study sheets to make them and then share them, because one, for me, it helped process information and you get feedback on what you put out there. Like people will look at it's kind of like a little peer review. Um, and then it can help other people down the road. And um, I obviously like that. I do a lot of teaching about infographics, but I think even if you're making summary sheets that you share with your uh, co-fellows or other people that you're working with, that can be quite, quite helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would make our community better if we had more of those resources. And, and I'm sure there's so many resources in local pockets yeah, in your little exactly. sphere of practice yeah, yeah. that we maybe don't share. Maybe Twitter is the answer to that. Yeah. Like certainly Jamie and I, we had a, a group which he called Exam Bros, but I've <laughs> since left, I'm not told him this until now, renamed Exam Pros because <gasps> it's non-gendered and... <laughs> Um, makes it more inclusive. I, I, well, I would argue that <laughs> I would argue that exam bros can be uh, male or female, and by accusing <laughs> it of being gendered, you're actually the one who's being uh, gendered. So you're the one that should be cancelled. Not. But me. could you only change it to pros because Jane was not in the group anymore? <laughs> I don't think Jane would let me leave. <laughs> Maybe we just don't feel like we're bro enough. Um, Oh wow! You do you, you do as you will. I set it up, and now I've let it forth into the world, and you can do whatever you like with it. Don't have to be happy about it, though, do I? That's life in a nutshell for James. Sarah, thank you very much for coming on and letting us know about. I, I must admit, I was completely ignorant as to what exactly the the American exam was like. So, uh, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Questions, comments, suggestions? Why don't you send them into idiotspodcasting at gmail.com. Have a five star review in your pocket. Calm and I would love to have it. Please drop it in your podcast player of choice. You should also review Febrile as well, but I imagine that you have already done so. We tweet at idiots underscore pod, and if you want to donate to support the show, you may now do so. There's a link in the description. But until next time, I'm Jane. I'm Callum. And I'm Sarah. All right. See you then. Bye. Now that the episode's done, we hope you learn and had lots of fun. So go forth and treat people with some of what you now know. <laughs> I was thinking about how you guys can only invite up to four four people, you know? Because you have two, trio, and tetrad, but yeah. then you're stuck. <laughs>
And nothing beyond that. No, we'll never have no more, more than two other guests. 13, yeah. 12. Oh, you're right. 10. You just have to just skip. Just nothing in the middle. You have to skip them in the middle. Good point. I don't know. I th- that's a bit of a leap. Anyway, those specialists, 